Hello. Hello. Welcome to uh, Infinite Cast, episode two. The second episode. The second episode. Uh, if you've come back, thanks. If yes. we're just recording to ourselves, hey, it's something to do. Yeah, it's something to do. Uh, as promised, we're just going to hop right in this time. Report, record a podcast, something to do, <laughs> something to do. Record a podcast. Is that po- podcast or Podcast around, set me on fire. <laughs> um, we're back. Do, do we just get get right into the book? Yeah, let's just do it. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do some jokes and bants afterwards. So again, that hopefully if you are, again, one of the sick perverts listening to this, uh, you can use it theoretically as an audiobook. Yes. Um, right. I'm also not, I think, you know, as we figure this out, I'm not going to do full on last time on Infinite Cast. No, we cannot Because if you're coming to this in the middle of it, you're a freak. You're a weirdo. But I will at least say in the in the uh, beginning like what kind of scene we're in or if we've left mid-scene. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, we're in Hal Incandenza's perspective. He's currently uh, getting interviewed by the, by by the, the University of Arizona deans, deans um, but we're taking a little flashback first. It's funny what you don't recall. Our first home in the suburb of Weston, which I barely remember, my eldest brother, Oren, says he can remember being in the home's backyard with our mother in the early spring, helping the moms till some sort of garden till some sort of garden out of the cold yard. March or early April. The garden's area was a rough rectangle laid out with popsicle st- sticks and twine. Oren was removing rocks and hard clods from the moms' path as she worked the rented rototiller, a wheelbarrow-shaped, gas-driven thing that roared and snorted and bucked, and he remembers... Uh, seemed to propel the moms rather than vice versa. The mom's very tall and having to stoop painfully to hold on, her feet leaving drunken prints in the tilled earth. He remembers that in the middle of the tilling, I came tear-assing out the door and into the backyard wearing some sort of fuzzy red poo wear, crying, holding out something he says was really unpleasant looking in my upturned palm. He says I was around five and crying and was vividly red in the cold spring air. I was saying something over and over. He couldn't make it out until our mother saw me and shut down the tiller, ears ringing, and came over to see what I was holding out. This turned out to have been a large patch of mold, Orin posits from some dark corner of the Weston Homes basement, which was warm from the furnace and flooded every spring. The patch itself he describes as horrific, darkly green, glossy, vaguely hirsute, speckled with parasitic fungal points of yellow, orange, red. Worse, they could see that the patch looked oddly incomplete, gnawed on, and some of the nauseous stuff was smeared around my open mouth. <laughs> I ate this, was what I was saying. I held the patch out to the moms who had her contacts out for the dirty work and at first bending way down saw only her crying child hand out proffering. And in that most maternal of reflexes, she, who feared and loathed more than anything, spoilage and filth, reached to take whatever her baby held out. As in how many used heavy Kleenex, spit back candies, wads of chewed out gum and how many theaters, airports, back seats, tournament lounges. O stood there, he says hefting a cold clod, playing with the Velcro in his puffy coat, watching as the moms bent way down to me, hand-reaching, her lowering face with its presbyopic squint, suddenly stopped, froze, beginning to ID what it was I held out, countenancing evidence of oral contact with same. He remembers her face as past describing, her outstretched hands still roto-trembling, hung in the air before mine. I ate this, I said. Pardon me? O says he can only remember saying something caustic as he limboed a crick out of his back. He says he must have felt a terrible impending anxiety. The moms refused ever to even go in the damp basement. I'd stopped crying, he remembers, and simply stood there, the size and shape of a hydrant in red PJs with attached feet, 
holding out the mold, seriously, like the report of some kind of audit. O says his memory diverges at this point, probably as a result of anxiety. In his first memory, the mom's path around the yard is a broad circle of hysteria. God, she cries out. Help, my son ate this, she yells in Oren's second and more fleshed out recollection, yelling it over and over, holding the speckled patch aloft in a pincer of fingers, running around and around the garden's rectangle while O gaped at his first real sight of adult hysteria. Suburban neighbors' heads appeared in windows and over the fences, looking. O remembers me tripping over the garden's laid-out twine, getting up dirty, crying, trying to follow. God, help! My son ate this! Help! She kept yelling, running a tight pattern just inside the square of string. And my brother Oren remembers, noting how even in hysterical trauma, her flight lines were plumb, her footprints Native American straight, her turns inside the ideogram of string, crisp and martial, crying, my son ate this! Help! And lapping me twice before the memory recedes. Back, Back to the office. My application's not bought, I'm telling them, calling into the darkness of the red cave that opens out before closed eyes. I am not just a boy who plays tennis. I have an intricate history, experiences and feelings. I'm complex. I read, I say. I study and read. I bet I've read everything you've read. Don't think I haven't. I consume libraries. I wear out spines and ROM drives. I do things like get in a taxi and say, the library, and step on it. (laughs) My instincts concerning syntax and mechanics are better than your own. I can tell with due respect. But it transcends the mechanics. I'm not a machine. I feel and believe. I have opinions. Some of them are interesting. I could, if you'd let me, talk and talk. Let's talk about anything. I believe the influence of Kierkegaard on Camus is underestimated. I believe Dennis Gabor may very well have been the Antichrist. I believe that Hobbes is just Rousseau in a dark mirror. I believe with Hegel that transcendence is absorption. I can interface you guys right under the table, I say. I'm not a creatus, manufactured, conditioned, bred for a function. I open my eyes. Please don't think I don't care. I look out. Directed my way is horror. I rise from the chair. I see jowls sagging, eyebrows high on trembling foreheads, cheeks bright white. The chair recedes below me. R- real quick, real quick, was all that stuff about like Hobbes and and, and Kierkegaard in his head, or was that a quote? He's that he speaking. Said out he said that he's out saying okay. this to the deans. Uh, sweet mother of Christ, the director says. I'm fine, I tell them, standing from the yellow dean's expression. There's a brutal wind blowing from my direction. Academic's face has gone instantly old. Eight eyes have become blank discs that stare at whatever they see. Good God, whispers athletics. Please don't worry, I say. I can explain. I soothe the air with a casual hand. Both my arms are pinioned from behind me by the director of composition, who wrestles me roughly down, on me with all his weight. I taste floor. (laughs) What's wrong? I say, nothing is wrong. It's all right. I'm here, the director is calling into my ear. Get help, cries Adine. My forehead is pressed into parquet I never knew could be so cold. I am arrested. I try to be perceived as limp and pliable. My face is mashed flat. Uh, The director of composition's weight makes it hard to breathe. Try to listen, I say very slowly, muffled by the floor. What in God's name are those, one deed cries shrilly, those sounds! There are clicks of a phone console's buttons, shoes, heels moving, pivoting, a sheaf of flimsy pages falling. God, help! The door's base opens at the left periphery. A wedge of halogen light, hall light, white sneakers, and a scuffed nun bush. I assume that's some kind of shoe. Let him up! That's Delint. There's nothing wrong, I say slowly to the floor. I'm in here. I'm raised by the crutches of my underarm, shaken toward what he must see, must see as calm by a purple-faced director. Get a grip, son! Delint at the big man's arm. Stop it! I am not what you see in here. 
Distant sirens, a crude half-Nelson, forms at the door. A young Hispanic woman holds her palm against her mouth, looking. I'm not, I say. You have to love old-fashioned men's rooms, the citrus scent of deodorant discs and the long porcelain trough, the stalls with wooden doors and frames of cool marble, these thin sinks and rows, basins supported by rickety alphabets of exposed plumbing, mirrors over metal shelves, behind all the voices, the slight sound of a ceaseless trickle inflated by echo against wet porcelain and a cold tile floor whose mosaic pattern looks almost Islamic at this close range. What a way to describe a bathroom. I, I, wanted, I was going to pause as well and be like, damn, that does make me nostalgic for that particular that type kind of, bathroom? of men's room. Like, he knows how to describe the something. The scent? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Islamic fucking mosaic pattern. <laughs> the the woods, the wooden doors and the marble. God, I want to be in one of those bathrooms right now. Get, get Chris into this God, bathroom. God, I wish I was pissing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go on. Uh, the disorder I've caused revolves all around. I've been half-dragged, still pinioned through a loose mob of administrative people by the comp director, who appears to have thought variously that I'm having a seizure, prying open my mouth to check for a throat clear of tongue, that I'm somehow choking, a textbook Heimlich that left me whooping, <laughs> that I'm psychotically out of control, various postures and grips designed to transfer that control to him, while about us roiled lint, trying to restrain the director's restraint of me, the varsity tennis coach restraining to lint, my mother's half-brother speaking in rapid combinations of polysyllables to the trio of deans who variously gasp, wring hands, loosen neckties, waggle digits in CT's face, and make passes, passes with sheaves of now pretty clearly superfluous application forms. I'm rolled over supine on the geometric tile. I'm concentrating docilely on the question why U.S. restrooms always appear to us as infirmaries for public distress, the place to regain control. My head is cradled in a knelt director's lap, which is soft, my face being swabbed with dusty brown institutional paper towels he received from some hand out of the crowd overhead, staring with all the blankness I can summon into his jowls smallpox, worse at the blurred jawline of scarring from long-ago acne. Uncle Charles, a truly unparalleled slinger of shit, is laying down an enfilade of same, trying to mollify men who seem way more in good need of a brow, way more in need of a good brow mopping than I. He's fine, he keeps saying. Look at him, calm as can be, lying there. You didn't see what happened in there, a hunched dean responds through a face webbed with fingers. Excited is all he gets sometimes, an excitable kid, impressed with, but the sounds he made, undescribable, like an animal, sub-animalistic noises and sounds, nor let's not forget the gestures. Have you ever gotten help for this boy, Dr. Tavis? Like some sort of animal with something in his mouth. This boy is damaged, like a stick of butter being hit with a mallet, a writhing animal with a knife in its eye. What were you possibly about trying to enroll this? And his arms, you didn't see it, Tavis. His arms were flailing, this sort of awful reaching, drumming wiggle, waggling, the group looking briefly at something outside of my sight, trying to demonstrate something. Like a time lapse, a flutter of some sort of awful growth, sounded most of all like a drowning goat, a goat drowning in something viscous. This strange strangled series of bleats and yes, they waggled. So suddenly a bit of excited waggling's a crime now. You, sir, are in trouble. You are in trouble. His face, as if he were strangling, burning. I believe I've seen a vision of hell. He has some trouble communicating. He's communicatively challenged. No one's denying that. The boy needs care. Instead of caring for the boy, you send him here to enroll, compete. Hal, you have not been in your most dreadful fantasies dreamt of the amount of trouble you have bought yourself, Dr. So-called Headmaster Educator. Uh, we were given to understand what this was all just a formality. You took him aback is all. Shy. 
And you, White, you sought to recruit him? And terribly impressed and excited in there without us, his support system, who you asked to leave, which if you'd... I'd only seen him play on court. He's gorgeous, possibly a genius. We had no idea. The brothers in the bloody NFL, for God's sake. Here's a top player, we thought, with Southwest roots. His stats were off the chart. We watched him through the whole Whataburger last fall. Not a waggle or a noise. We were watching ballet out there, a mate remarked after. Damn right you were watching ballet out there, White. This boy's a balletic athlete, a player. Some kind of athletic savant, then. Balletic compensation for deep problems, which you, sir, chose to disguise by muzzling the boy in there. An expensive pair of Brazilian espadrilles goes bon by on the left and enters a stall, and the espadrilles come around and face me. The, ur- the urinal trickles beyond, uh, behind the voice's small echoes. Uh, perhaps we'll just be on our way, CT is saying. The integrity of my sleep has been forever compromised, sir. Uh, think you could pass off a... Da- <laughs> <laughs> think you could pass off a damaged applicant, fabric- fabricate credentials, and shunt him through a kangaroo interview and inject him into all the rigors of college life? Hal here functions, you ask, given a supportive situation. He's fine when he's by himself. Yes, he has some trouble with excitability and conversation. Did you once hear him try to deny that? We witnessed something only marginally mammalian in there, sir. Like hell. Have a look. How's the excitable little guy doing down there? Aubrey, does it look to you? You, sir, are quite possibly ill. This affair is not concluded. What ambulance? Don't you guys listen? I'm telling you there's... How? How? <laughs> Dope him up. Seek to, act, seek, to as, 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 seek to act as his mouthpiece, muzzling, and now he lies there catatonic, staring. The crackle of Dylan's knees. How? Inflate this publicly in any distorted way. The Academy has distinguished alumni, litigators to counsel. Hal here is probably competent. Uh, credentials out the bazoo bill. The boy reads like a vacuum, digests things. I simply lie there listening, smelling the paper towel, watching an espadrille pivot. There's more to life than sitting there interfacing. It might be a newsflash to you. And who could not love that special and leonine roar of a public toilet? Not for nothing did Oren say that people outdoors here just scuttle in vectors from air conditioning to air conditioning. The sun is a hammer. I feel one side of my face start to cook. The blue sky is glossy and fat with heat. A few thin sea eyes sheared to blown strands like hair at the rims. The traffic is nothing like Boston. The stretcher is the special type with restraining straps at the extremities. The same Aubrey Delint I dismissed for years as a 2D martinet knelt gurney side to squeeze my restrained hand and say, just hang in there, buckaroo, before moving back into the administrative fray at the ambulance's doors. It is a special ambulance. Dispatched from what I'd, I'd rather dwell not wear with not only paramedics, but some kind of psychiatric MD on board. The medics lift gently and are handy with straps. The MD, his back up against the ambulance's side, has both hands up in dispassionate meditation, mediation between the deans and CT, who keeps stabbing skyward with his cellular's antenna as if it were a saber, outraged that I'm being needlessly ambulanced off to some emergency room against my will and interests. The issue here, the issue whether the damaged even have interested wills, is shallowly hashed out as some sort of ultra-mock fighter too high overhead to hear slices the sky from south to north. The MD has both hands up and is patting the air to signify dispassion. He has a big blue jaw. At the only other emergency room I've ever been in, almost exactly one year back, the psychiatric structure was wheeled in and then parked behind the waiting room chairs. These chairs were molded orange plastic. Three of them down the row were occupied by different people, all of whom were holding empty prescription bottles and perspiring freely. This would have been bad enough, but in the end chair, right up next to the strap-secured head of my stretcher, was a t-shirted woman with barnwood skin and a trucker's cap and a bad starboard list who began to tell me, lying there restrained and immobile, about how she had seemingly overnight suffered 
and sudden and anomalous gigantism in her right breast, which she referred to as a titty. She had an, <laughs> she, she had an almost parodic uh, Quebecois accent and described the titties <laughs> presenting history and possible diagnoses for almost 20 minutes before I was rolled away. The jet's movement and trail seem incisionist, as if white meat behind the blue were exposed and widening in the wake of the blade. I once saw the word knife finger-written on the steamed mirror of a non-public bathroom. I have become an infantophile. I am forced to roll my closed eyes either up or to the side to keep the red cave from bursting into flames from the sunlight. The street's passing traffic is constant and seems to go hush, hush, hush. The sun, if your fluttering eye catches it even slightly, gives you the blue and red floaters a flashbulb gives you. Why not? Why not? Why not, uh, then, if the best reason you contrive is why not? CT's voice receding with outrage. Only the gallant stabs of his antenna are now visible, just inside my sight's right frame. I will be conveyed to an emergency room of some kind, where I will be detained as long as I do not respond to questions. And then, when I do respond to questions, I will be sedated. So it will be inversion of standard travel, the ambulance and ER. I'll make the journey first, then depart. I think very briefly of the late Cosgrove Watt. I think of the hypophalangeal grief therapist. I think of the moms alphabetizing cans of soup in the cabinet over the microwave. Of himself's umbrella hung by its handle from the edge of the mail table just inside the headmaster's house foyer. The bad ankle hasn't ached once this whole year. I think of John N. R. Wayne, who would have won this year's Whataburger, standing watch in a mask as Donald Gately and I dig up my father's head. There's very little doubt that Wayne would have won. And Venus Williams owns a ranch outside of Green Valley. She may well attend the 18 boys and girls finals. I will be out in plenty of time for tomorrow's semi. I trust Uncle Charles. Tonight's winner is almost sure to be Dimphna, 16 but with a birthday two weeks under the April 15 deadline. And Dimphna will still be tired tomorrow at 8.30 while I, sedated, will have slept like a graven image. I have never before faced Dimphna in tournament play, nor played with the sonic balls the blind require. <laughs> but I watched him barely dispatch Petropolis Khan in the round of 16, and I know he is mine. It will start in the ER at the intake desk if CT's late and following the ambulance, or in the green-tiled room after the room with the invasive digital machines, or given the special MD-supplied ambulance, maybe on the ride itself, some blue-jawed MD scrubbed to an antiseptic glow with his name sewn in cursive on his white coat's breast pocket and a quality desk-set pen, wanting gurney-side Q&A, etiology and diagnosis by Socratic method, ordered point by point. There are, by the OED, I can't read, um, the OED sixes count. I can't read Roman numerals very well. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 19 non-archaic synonyms for unresponsive, of which nine are Latinate and four Saxonic. <laughs> I will play either Stice or Polip in Sunday's final, maybe in front of Venus Williams. It will be someone blue-collar and unlicensed, though, inevitably. A nurse's aide with quick-bit nails. A hospital security guy. A tired Cuban orderly who addresses me as Jew. <laughs> who will, <laughs> who will, looking down in the middle of some kind of bustled task, catch what he sees as my eye and says, so yo then, man, what's your story? A little, a little more? Uh, Yeah, we're probably, this is probably like 18, 17 minutes. Let's we'll, do a little more. Yeah, you want to get up to page 20? Sure. Try to do 10, 10 page sections. Great. Um. All right. That was the year of glad. This is the year of the depend adult undergarment, <laughs> uh, which is earlier. I, I, if that's helpful, the, an earlier year. <sighs> Where was the woman who said she'd come? She said she would come. Erdetti thought she had come by now. He sat and thought. He was in the living room. When he started waiting, one window was full of yellow light and cast a shadow of light across the floor. 
He was still sitting, waiting as that shadow began to fade and was intersected by a brightening shadow from a different wall's window. There was an insect on one of the steel shelves that held his audio equipment. The insect kept going in and out of one of the holes on the girders that the shelves fit into. The insect was dark and had a shiny case. He kept looking over at it. Once or twice, he started to get up to go, uh, to go over closer to look at it, but he was afraid if he came closer and saw it closer, he would kill it, and he was afraid to kill it. He did not use the phone to call the woman who'd promised to come, because if he tied up the line and it happened to be at the time when maybe she was trying to call him, he was afraid she would hear the busy signal and think him disinterested and get angry and maybe take what she'd promised him somewhere else. She had promised to get him a fifth of a kilogram of marijuana, 200 grams of unusually good marijuana, for $1,250 U.S. He had tried to stop smoking marijuana maybe 70 or 80 times before, before this woman knew him. She did not know he had tried to stop. He always lasted a week or two weeks or maybe two days, and then he'd think and decide to have some in his home one more last time. One last final time, he'd search out someone new, someone he already hadn't told that he had, he, he had to stop smoking dope, and please, under no circumstances should they procure him any dope. It had to be a third party because he told every dealer he knew to cut him off. And the third party had to be someone all new because each time he got some, he knew this time had to be the last time and so told them, asked them, as a favor, never to get him any more, ever. And he never asked a person again once he told them this because he was proud and also kind and wouldn't put anyone in that kind of <laughs> contradictory position. Also, he considered himself creepy when it came to dope. He was afraid that others would see that he was creepy about it as well. He sat and thought and waited in an uneven X of light through two different windows. Once or twice, he looked at the phone. The insect had disappeared back into the hole in the steel girder a shell fit into. She'd promised to come at one certain time, and it was past that time. Finally, he gave in and called her number using just audio. There's video phones in this. You just wait. Uh, and it rang several times, and he was afraid of how much time he was taking tying up the line, and he got her audio answering device. The message had a snatch of ironic pop music and her voice and a male voice together saying, we'll call you back, and the we made them sound like a couple. The man was a handsome black man who was in law school. She designed sets. And he didn't leave a message because he didn't want her to know how much now he felt like he needed it. He'd been very casual about the whole thing. She said she knew a guy just over the river in Alston who sold high resin dope in moderate bulk. And he yawned and said, well, maybe. Well, hey, why not? Sure, special occasion. I haven't bought any in I don't know how long. She said he lived in a trailer and had a hair lip and kept snakes, and had no phone, and was basically just not what you call a pleasant or attractive person at all. But the guy in Alston frequently sold dope to theater people in Cambridge and had a devoted following. He said he was trying to even remember <laughs> when was the last time he bought any. It had been so long. He said he'd guessed he'd have her get a decent amount. He said he'd had some friends call him in the recent past and ask if he could get them some. He had this thing where he'd say, <laughs> frequently say he was getting dope mostly for friends. Then if the woman say she didn't have it when she said she'd have it for him and he became anxious about it, he could tell the woman that it was his friends were who, who were becoming anxious. And he was sorry to bother the woman about something so casual. But his friends were anxious and bothering him about it. And he just wanted to know when he could maybe tell them. He was caught in the middle is how he would represent it. He could say his friends had given them their money and were now anxious and exerting pressure, calling and bothering him. This tactic was not possible with this woman who'd said she'd come with it because he hadn't yet given her the $1,250. She would not let him. She was well off. Her family was well off, she said to explain uh, how her condominium was as nice as it was when she worked designing sets for a Cambridge theater company that seemed to only do German plays, dark, smeary sets. <laughs> She didn't care much about the money. She said she covered the cost herself when she got out to the Alston Spur to see whether the guy was at home in the trailer, as she was certain he would be this particular afternoon, and he could just reimburse her when she brought it to him. 
This arrangement, very casual, made him anxious. So he'd been even more casual and said, sure, fine, whatever. Thinking back, he was sure he'd said whatever, which in retrospect worried him because it might have sounded as if he didn't care at all, not at all, so little that it wouldn't matter if she forgot to get it or call. And once he'd made the decision to have marijuana in his home one more time, it mattered a lot. (laughs) It mattered a lot. He'd been too casual with the woman. He should have made her take $1,250 from him up front, claiming politeness, claiming he didn't want to inconvenience her financially over something so trivial and casual. Money created a sense of obligation, and he should have wanted the woman to feel obliged to do what she'd said. Once she'd said she'd do, had set him off inside. Once she'd been set off inside, it mattered so much that he was somehow afraid to show how much it mattered. Once he had asked her to, to get it, he was committed to several courses of action. The insect on the shelf was back. Didn't seem to do anything. Just came out of the hole in the girder under the edge of steel shelf and just sat there. After a while, it would disappear back in the hole in the girder, and he was pretty sure it didn't do anything in there either. He felt similar to the insect inside the girder his shelf was connected to but was not sure just how he was similar. Once he decided to own marijuana one last time, he was committed to several courses of action. He had to mode him into the agency and say there was an emergency and that he was posting an e-note on a colleague's TP asking her to cover his calls for the rest of the week because he'd be out of contact for several days due to this emergency. He had to put an audio message on his answering device saying that starting that afternoon, he was going to be unreachable for several days. He had to clean his bedroom because once he had dope, he would not leave his bedroom except to go to the refrigerator and the bathroom, and even then the trips would be very quick. He had to throw out all his beer and liquor because if he drank alcohol and smoked dope at the same time, he would get dizzy and ill, and if he had alcohol in the house, he could not be relied to not drink it once he started smoking dope. He had to do some shopping. He would had to lay in supplies. Now just one of the insects antennae was percuting from the hole in the girder. It protruded, but it did not move. He, ha- he had had to buy soda, Oreos, bread, sandwich meat, mayonnaise, tomatoes, M&Ms, almost home cookies, (laughs) ice cream, a Pepperidge Farm frozen chocolate cake, and four cans of canned chocolate frosting to be eaten with a large spoon. He had to log an order to rent film cartridges from the Interlace Entertainment Outlet. He had to buy... I was going to say, maybe stop after this paragraph, but I see it goes on for two more, at least two more pages. We can't stop after this paragraph uh, because this paragraph is like eight pages long. Uh, (laughs) He had to buy antacids for the discomfort that eating all he would eat would cause him late at night. He had to buy a new bong because each time he finished what simply had to be his last bulk quality of marijuana, he decided that this was it. He was through. He didn't even like it anymore. This is it. No more hiding. No more imposing on his colleagues and putting different messages on his answering device, moving his car away from his condominium, closing his windows and curtains and blinds and living in quick vectors between his bedroom's interlaced uh, teleputers films and his refrigerator and his toilet. He would take the bong he used and throw it away, wrapped in several plastic shopping bags. His refrigerator made its own ice in little cloudy crescent blocks, and he loved it. When he had dope in his home, he always drank a great deal of cold soda and ice water. His tongue almost swelled at just the thought. He looked at the phone and the clock. He looked at the windows, but not at the foliage and blacktop driveway beyond the windows. He had already vacuumed his Venetian blinds and curtains. Everything was ready to be shut down. Once the woman who'd said she'd come had come, he would shut the whole system down. It occurred to me that it occurred to him that he would disappear into a hole in a girder inside him that supported something else inside him. He was unsure what the thing inside him was and was unprepared to commit himself to the course of action that would be required to explore the question. It was now almost three hours past the time when the woman had said she would come. That's a good place to stop. Yeah. Even though that it's in the middle of a what, a page long paragraph? How long does this paragraph go? At least another, another page, page and, a and a half. But yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> but let's let's stop there. How you feeling? Uh, still good. Uh, two two 
uh, incredible descriptions of very particular type of anxiety. Yeah. One, the first one, the uh, ab- applying to college anxiety. Yeah. Were we just talking about with your family that particular experience of having to interview with a local graduate a local alumnus. of the college yeah. and being like a 17-year-old or something and being shuttled to a weird person's house yeah. where somebody who at one time went to a college that you may want to go to yeah. has to ask you a bunch of questions about why you are an upstanding 17-year-old. Yeah. And just, I mean, I remember the time. As if they time, care. Yeah, as if they care. As if which, you care. Yeah. Which I guess you technically do, but it's still such an alienating experience to be like, well, yes, uh, yes, stranger, I am a very good boy. And I do do well on my tests. It's And certainly, I mean, I don't know, it's probably something more literary extreme is going on here but it certainly does feel in its own way like opening your mouth and some kind of horrific inhuman shrieking that you are in no control over is coming out because there's no way that you could possibly represent yourself the way that you inside yourself think that you can be represented with your thoughts about your 17 year old thoughts about Kierkegaard and Hegel and whatever yeah what do you have any thoughts on why he is so freaky when he speaks? Uh, not I, I not yet, but yeah. I I mean I think that I picked up on it when he when I was asking if all that stuff that he was saying about Kierkegaard and Hegel was that in his was, head or was it in his he, head or not? Did he yeah, talk it? yeah. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> He's weird in some way. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you'll all- you'll see. There's a reason, I think. I mean, well, I, there's multiple possible reasons. I don't want to say anything uh, like out of turn or anything, but it also kind of sounds like a dis- kind of description of, of a form of like autism or something. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because it's both a verbal and a physical thing. Like when he like <laughs> yeah. moves, they're like he he's moving like a like stabbed animal. Yeah. It, it seems like he's like a Muppet with when they like flail their arms. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other anxiety, of course, uh, is... Uh, Awkwardly, awkwardly purchasing an illicit sub- substance and having to rely on an extremely unreliable network of of other individuals, yeah, whose actions you cannot countenance to or, or not expect to work as one does in any other consumer fashion, yes, uh, and how that <laughs> sets puts you in sets you inside yourself, yes, like the bug going in and out of the I beam, yes, this guy. You might think maybe he has a problem with marijuana usage. Perhaps. Like maybe maybe a like a like a significant drug problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's that's it, that's it for today. Yeah. How does it, how do you feel about the, the segment? It's it the re- reading it aloud is really weird to see how like it flow at least the second part seeing how it it flows or er, er, er daddy or er daddy ken or daddy is his name ken or er da- how do you spell er daddy e-r-d-e-d-y or er daddy or er daddy i mean it's not meant i'm to be gonna have to up. say it a bunch of more times or er, er daddy i mean i think it is it seems like these are very specifically written to be words that are not meant to be said out loud. Um, the all the names in this book are like phenomenal. Did you did you pick up some names from uh, the end of Hal's thinking about like his monologue in his head of like what the competition was going to be like? Yeah, I, I didn't recognize them for anything, but I appreciated them as being um, interesting. the the names for a uh, pet pet Petropolis Khan. Petropolis Khan, that was a very good one. Um, there's another. Uh, there's a uh, John N.R. Wayne. N.R. stands for no relation. <laughs> John, no relation Wayne. John, no relation Wayne. Excellent. Um, 
Hal Incandenza is also a Hal Incandenza. Incandenza is very good. You'll see all the um, all the kids from. He, he's speaking, of course, of kids at his tennis, tennis academy, yeah. and you'll meet them again. Great. Uh, also, how how about that stuff of uh, digging up himself's head? Yes. Just a little uh, uh, spoiler. Just his dad's head. For right? A little foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His, his dad is himself, capital H, and his mom is the moms, capital M. The moms. Yeah. Plural. Uh, great. Um, uh, enjoy enjoying this journey so far. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think. I in the last episode, I I mentioned uh, cultural societal chaos chaos items, and I had a few more that I was trying to remember, but I can't mm. right now. Eventually, I'll talk more about that. Or uh, yeah, insanity runes. Can we expect your your essay in the New Republic or N plus one? I wonder if anybody would publish me anymore. I, at one time, I wrote for Slate. I yeah, could, you, I could dig that wrote. stuff up if I had takes again. In this economy, <laughs> takes. I feel like it's like a movie where like Clint Eastwood like rolls out of bed. It's like one last take. Just one last one take. last take for the road. Yeah. Well, it's considering that my take about cultural uh, like insanity uh, runes includes the thing that I work on. I think I would not be able to be published on that by being like, "Isn't the thing I work on cr- doesn't it's it make so people crazy? crazy? Why has everybody got to be so weird about it?" You got to get a Substack for that. Yeah, that's true. Substack life. A Substack. Get on my Substack. Well, is that enough for for this one? It's enough for me. All right, great. See you. Later. Whenever. Bye. Bye.